Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Mary Harris, host of What Next? And this is OPP. 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 Hi, Blessing. Welcome to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcast is America's number one discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Mary Harris, host of Slate's daily news podcast, What Next? Mary's short daily morning show is intended to help listeners like you make sense and stay up to speed on today's current events. Before moving over to Slate, Mary co-hosted one of my favorite podcasts of 2018, WNYC's The Realness. You may already be familiar with The Realness and the story of rapper Prodigy because of our past interview with her co-host, Christopher Johnson. I stopped by the Slate office and me and Mary hit it off right away. You're going to learn so much about her career in journalism, how she got into podcasting. We talk about The Realness, get her podcaster's picks, and of course, we talk about her dope show, What Next? So... On to my interview with Mary Harris. What's up, Mary? Uh, not much. It's I just wrapped the show. It, like just like literally was doing it and and was late to come get you because of it. Yeah. You know, I was wondering, uh, as one question I was going to ask you was like, what goes into making like a daily show? A lot. I, I could only imagine <laughs> So, yeah, our advice when we did it the first time around and someone asked what our advi- our advice was, we said pack a lunch because you just don't have time in the day, like the day you have to get it done. And I had done daily news for a long time of my like infanthood in journalism. I worked at ABC News and I was at World News Tonight. And so I did like daily news for a long time. And I'd forgotten what that news metabolism is like, where it's like you get in and you just have to go. Right, right. And uh, yeah, and then now I'm back doing it, which is great. It's actually an amazing thing to do where you're like, I I can't believe I can do this every day. It's like exciting because, you know, typically there's no day like the day before. You have have a new story every (laughs) single day. Well, what I love is that like you can constantly introduce yourself to people in new ways. Like you can always be showing something new and trying something new. And sometimes... The hardest thing for me as someone who um, like is so type A to my core is that you just have to admit you're going to get it wrong sometimes. And it's just going to happen because you're doing it every day. And I I find that to be the most challenging thing. How did you get into journalism? So I got into journalism. I, I didn't work at like the high school newspaper or anything like that, but I always read the newspaper. Like I loved reading the newspaper. Uh, My parents got like three newspapers to the house when I was a kid. And so I just kind of grew up with them. And at a certain point, I just realized like, oh, this is what I should be doing. Like, I love reading this stuff. I love the idea of doing this. I should do this. And I started working at the college magazine, not the newspaper or anything. Again, not like 
journalism, journalism, like arts journalism. And it was sort of my gateway in. And then I realized um, I started working at a place called Philadelphia Magazine. I was I was in school in Philly, which is great. Where'd you go? I went to Penn. Oh, look, go Quakers. Yeah, go Quakers. <laughs> go Quakers. Um, and I worked at Philadelphia Magazine and I realized that the pace was a little too slow for me. I get bored yeah. sometimes. And so I applied for a job in TV and like randomly ended up working in TV, even though I never really wanted to do that. Like when I was in college, I a professor asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, like, I want to work at NPR. Like, that was my, like, deeply nerdy answer. Yeah. Uh, but I sort of knew even then when I was, like, 19 or 20, like, oh, this is what I want to do. I like this. Um, but uh, the hard thing about audio is, like, you're constantly learning. And it's the amazing thing about audio where right. it's, like, you can love it and love it and love it. And, like, it's just a process of, like, getting better and better at doing it. Well, also, basically. the thing about life, too, is that, the most important thing is knowing what you don't want to do. I think we put so much focus on what we want to do. Like we have to know the exact answer. But really the the hard part is figuring out all the things that you just don't want to do. So Well, and figuring out like what you're you think you want to do because like the bigger culture is telling you you should do it, or like your mom or something. Like whose voice is yours and whose voice is someone else's in your head? Like, so when I was graduating from college, I signed up to take the LSAT. I've never wanted to be a lawyer ever. Mm. And I just didn't show up for it because I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. I felt like I wasn't doing the right thing because I wasn't going to go be like a consultant in New York, but that I did really didn't want to do that. And I had to realize like, I don't want to do this and I have to take this risk and do what I think I want to do. Uh, for, you know, for people who want to be in the NBA, right? You probably had Michael Jordan, who was like, I want to be like Jordan. And he was the the gateway drug into getting into the NBA. He was like the prototype of who people looked up to or the role model at the time. But what about for journalism for you? Was there like a person in the field that you were like, I want to emulate their career? Okay, so uh, yes, I think when I was young, it was probably Nina Totenberg. Who is, because, who is that? Oh, so Nina Totenberg is the Supreme Court correspondent for NPR. Okay. And she is older now. She's still working and she must be in her 70s at this point. But she has been doing this a long time. And um, my parents, I grew up in D.C. My parents ran into her at some point and like asked her, what should, what should we tell our daughter? You know, she's thinking about doing all these different things. And um, <laughs> at the time, my mom was wearing this short skirt suit and um, Nina Totenberg apparently told her when my mom said she wants to go into journalism, she will not have any trouble if she has legs like yours. <laughs> and then my mom said, oh, no, she has her father's legs. <laughs> and I was like, this just tells you everything you need to know about like my mom, about Nina Totenberg. And I've actually told Nina that story <laughs> in the years since. I think when she heard the first half of it, she was like, <gasps> Oh, oh you've, and, you've met her. Yeah, I've met her. Um, so I met her after I started working at WNYC. I'd sort of developed a relationship with NPR and my parents are in D.C. So I'd go and visit people when I was there. And at some point someone was like, oh, this is Nina Totenberg. I was like, I have to tell you this story. I have to tell you the wow. story. And I did. And you could see her blanch when she got to the first part. And then she, and then it was, there was sort of the relief of my mom just being like, meh. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you ever get to explain to her like, you know, what she meant to you and your career or anything like that? Or did you play it cool? I played it cool. I totally played it cool. Oh, you're better than me. I'm I'm just, I'm a confessor. I'll tell you. Oh, really? Oh, I'll tell you straight up and down. I'm like, look, I love you. You came into my life and it was never the same. Yeah. If, I, if I saw John Mayer, I would say that. 
Really? Oh, if I saw John Mayer. John Mayer. Oh, I would just completely geek out. Really? Oh, I, I probably would cry. Honestly. <gasps> like he's influenced so much of me musically. But I, I couldn't play it cool. So you're way cooler than me. Amazing. That's- no, I totally was like, yeah, it's so nice to meet you. You know, meeting of the peers here. I mean, are, uh, you, are you from the Philadelphia area? No, no, I'm from DC. You're from DC? Yeah. Where? Uh, right. I'm in Bethesda. I'm not from DC. Okay, I'm from Bethesda, yeah, DMV. But yeah. 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 That's what's up. Now I'm from Richmond, Virginia. You're from Richmond, Virginia? Yeah. My dad's from Richmond, Virginia. Stop. Yeah. You know what part? I don't. I haven't been down there in a long time. You know time. where he went to high school? Where? You know where he went to high school? Your no. dad? No. Oh my God, Richmond's, I call it the greatest hometown in America. Why? Oh, it has everything there. So it's inexpensive, number one. Great culture. Now, even though you have like the old Civil War stuff, but in the modern day, amazing music scene, amazing food scene. It's like very manageable. It's a pedestrian friendly city. Do you still have family there? Oh yeah, of course. Did you talk to them about all the nonsense this year? Oh, there's always nonsense in Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> there's been nonsense since uh, Reconstruction yeah. and before. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But it, it's a great place to go like for three, four days and be grateful that you're from there. Really? Yeah, you have to. You haven't been? No, no, I have been, but like not in a long time. Not since my grandparents died. Oh, well, how long so, ago was that? It was a long time. I was in elementary school. Oh, you know, as, as a grown ass adult. <laughs> oh, it's worth it. Oh my goodness! And like the drinks are cheap, the people are friendly, oh, and the weather good. is nice. What more could you want? Yeah, nothing. Pretty much <laughs> nothing. Uh, what what drove the move for you in your career to move to New York? So I moved to New York. Let's see. When did I move to New York? I moved to New York because I took. I took this job out of school at ABC News, and I was in Boston, actually. I was, they had a Boston bureau at the time. You know, no TV stations. No no TV networks have, like, bureaus in cities anymore, really, especially not a city like Boston, which is a smaller city. Um, but at the time, they did, and I took that job, and I, I got another job offer and was going to leave, and my boss said, you should call the folks in New York and say— do you have a gig for me? Like I have, I'm going to leave ABC if I don't get a gig with you. And he sort of gave me my first leg up in terms of negotiating. And I got a job at World News Tonight. And so Whoa. I packed myself up and moved to That was your New first York. gig? That was my first gig in New York. Yeah. World News Tonight? An associate producer. Wow. Yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, I, um, I lived in Queens in Long Island City, uh, Astoria. And I would sort of go into the city each day and, you know, go to work at ABC. It felt very important. It was kind of early internet days, like Google had just happened. And so it really felt like TV news was like still the place everyone got their news right, at right. night. You know what I mean? And it was with Peter Jennings. And um, yeah, it was kind of amazing. But also, yeah, it was it was an amazing training ground. I will say that. Like I learned so much from that gig about how to get things done and how to like write stories quickly and um kind of just how the sausage is made. That was my first gig in New York. I was 21. Wow, what what does an associate producer do for like a television show? I don't <laughs> a know. A little what... a little bit of everything. So research, you'd pitch stories, um and then when you had a piece on that night, you would screen through lots of tapes, like physical tapes to find the little pieces of b-roll that would go into the segment like you know because otherwise it's just going to be black you know because you just it's a story on a drug and so you need generic pill footage and so you're scrolling through and you know proposing stuff and 
Um, sometimes you do the interviews because you never, almost never see the actual correspondent doing the interviews. A lot of times it's a producer doing them. Mm -hmm. And so they just take the footage and, you know, write the script with it. Uh, so sometimes you do interviews, you'd find people to interview. It's kind of a lot of, a lot of everything, basically. Uh, what was it like seeing like your, the stuff that you produce, like actually going to television and seeing it? It was amazing. It was amazing to call people and say, I'm from ABC News. And like, you'd get a call back like right oh, away. Oh, man. It was amazing. <laughs> it was it was like having a magic key or something. Like I, I was joking with someone from a publication uh, earlier because we were talking about like, you know, working together with OPP and the other shows. And I was like, look, man, what I've done with CoreyCambridge86 <laughs> at gmail.com, if I just had that email address. <laughs> it's true. It's like a whole key to, like, to, really to another is. universe. Yeah, it really is. Oh, uh, what is it, uh, for your parents? What was it like for them to see, like your work be? I'm always because I come from the entertainment background. Yeah. Um, where I'm always fascinated to see, like you know, what was it like to make something that goes national, right? That people all over the world can relate to. They are super proud. They are still super proud. Um, like in an embarrassing way because their parents, like for instance, my dad. I've been on MSNBC a couple of times. Like I show up there occasionally at, when I'm promoting this show, What Next? And whenever I'm on, my dad will take pictures of me and then he'll just like put them all on Facebook. Like I, lo I look insane in some of the pictures. <laughs> it's like mid-blink. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally mid-blink or like snarling kind of. Because I podcast, right? Like when you're on TV, you have to decide what am I going to do with my face, you know? Right, right. So if you have like resting bitch face, which, you know, sometimes I do. <laughs> You have to so fix do I. it. You have to fix it. <laughs> so you have to like be constantly thinking about like, what do I look like? Anyway, so my parents are very, very proud, like excessively proud. So proud. Uh, did you ever, because when you were going into journalism back at Penn, was it with the focus of doing, you know, print journalism or was it the focus of being in front of the camera broadcast journalism? No, I mean, like I was just working at sort of the magazine. So it was really like magazine written pieces. And then I had a little internship at, um, WHIY, the local public radio station. Um, but because I knew I, I liked audio, but I didn't really learn about audio until I started working in radio. Like I, even even TV, I took the broadcast gig because I knew someone at NPR and I found it very, very hard to get a job at NPR. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really know why. Uh because I was like, I feel like I'm qualified, but I just couldn't. And he said, well, take a TV job because that's like similar enough. And you'll learn about writing for tape and it's it's broadcast and you'll learn a little bit. But I, I realized once I got into radio, it was actually quite different because when you can rely on the pictures, they can tell so much of the story for you. Right. When you're just doing audio, you have to explain the pictures too. You have to bring people somewhere in a way that you just don't have to do when you're doing something that's visual. Were there translatable skills from being a producer in television to radio? Yeah, I mean they're definitely they're definitely similar, but they're just not an exact match. Um, you know, the producing job is the same. It's finding people who can talk well and getting them in front of a microphone. It's um, you know, really figuring out what the story is here. Like, you know, there's all sorts of data points, but like how are we focusing it? Like what's our narrative? Who are we looking at? Who's who are we pointing the camera at? That sort of thing. Um, but there are some like stylistic things that are just really, really different. Like it's interesting when you can hear, when you listen to podcasts that are done by TV people, you can usually tell they were done by TV people because they sound like TV on podcast world mm. as opposed to like podcast is sort of, it can be its own sound. Um, and a lot of times I think the best podcasts have their own sound. 
Where'd you get into radio at? So I started working at WNYC. Okay. Uh, I left ABC when I was like seven months pregnant and took a job at WNYC um, to work on a show called The Takeaway. And I was one of the founding producers of The Takeaway. And I worked there for a long time, like three or four years. And yeah, basically basically stayed in radio at that point. I had a brief diversion to go um, back into TV, but then I was like, I don't want to do this. And I left. Wow. 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 Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. Yeah, okay. When we get back, we're going to get into your show and podcasting. Awesome. All right. Cool. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, and we're back. Mary, Mary! <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> I missed you too. It's been a long time. You, you like Rick James? <laughs> a little bit. I'm not like a massive Rick James fan. Every time I meet a person named Mary, a woman named Mary, I'm like, oh, I've seen Mary, Mary! You don't get that on the street? I do sometimes get that. I do sometimes. Mary, Mary, why you bugging? Oh. Lots of Mary songs. So Mary J. Blige? Yeah. I mean, well, listen, like that's an amazing, like I, I just kind of like worship at that throne. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's not. She's our, she's our Aretha Franklin. She's hip hop's Aretha Franklin. Right. I mean, like, I, yes, I, we have the same name, but. Before we get into what next, I have to touch on uh, the realness. The realness. Uh, I had the pleasure of having Christopher Johnson on OPP and. That show for me, you know, is to me absolutely brilliant. Um, Thank you so much. That docuseries. Just because for me being a hip hop fan, and I think for a lot of folks who are just, the thing about podcasting is so many people now getting into it and experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. It was a gateway into uh, a lot of people in the hip hop community really gravitated towards it towards it and loved it oh i hope that's true for sure that's how i got put onto it nice um but then also to the education of the health side and it was very well put together can you tell me how, how that happened and so we were christopher and i were working on this health unit together and we're given this like really broad assignment of like find podcast ideas for health and what those would sound like and we realized so only human was a show about health and we realized that in some ways it was constricted by its healthiness. Like, I don't know, I reported on health for years, but I still find it hard to like desire health coverage, I think on a general interest level. Like I, I'm not like, you know what I want to like sit down and do is like read the science, like maybe sometimes, but it's it's very, it's very rare. And so we're like, how do we make this more appealing to more people? And I had this wonderful producer for Only Human for a Hot Minute And one of the things that she said to me that really made an impact and I carry with me still today is I don't care about ideas. I care about people. I care a lot. I personally, Mary Harris, care a lot about ideas. I think they're really important. But her point was basically like when you're telling a story about ideas, you have to couch it in a person because otherwise it's hard to pay attention. We love other people. We're endlessly fascinated by other people. So you know, the ideal story, you're finding someone who was going to help you tell your story in some way. So anyway, we were given this broad sort of like go find stories. And we literally called 20 people in the New York City area about like, hey, what stories do you think we should be telling? What stories do you think we should be telling? 
Um, and I called this guy who had been wanting to call for a while uh, at Mount Sinai who'd opened a sickle cell clinic. And I was just talking to him and the story of sickle cell was really interesting. Like he kept like throwing out facts that were interesting. Like it's the most expensive condition. And, you know, here's what happened when the NIH closed all these sickle cell centers and all these people started rushing into my emergency room, all these sort of interesting stories. But, you know, there wasn't one person. But then at the very end of the phone call, he said, you know what you could do? You could do a story on this rapper, this guy Prodigy. And I was like, who is that? Which Christopher Johnson laughed at me. <laughs> he said that I, in the interview. <laughs> and I was like, who's that? Yeah. We literally sat next to each other. Yeah. And he was like, mm. uh, and so the more I read about Prodigy, the more I wanted to tell his story. He was just, he is one of those people that if you read about his story, you will just kind of fall in love with him. There's so much going on with him. And he was not an easy human, as far as I could tell, like pretty tough guy. But at the same time, so smart and like so much happening with him, so much fascinating family history. And also like his family story to me was fascinating because, you know, he was known for this really tough rap and his grandmother was known for all this amazing dance that she did. And it just got me thinking about like, why hadn't I heard about Prodigy before? Like, why? Why? I mean, like, I don't think I was necessarily the audience for Mob Deep's music, you know, suburban white girl. But like, why? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it, it sort of like unlocked all these ideas about like the stories we tell and the stories we don't tell. Right. Um, and I th- I, that was the beautiful thing about it um, is because I think it was a gateway podcast for two different audiences. I think for hip hop for the hip hop audience, it was a way to learn about health yeah. and learn about the condition of sickle cell. But I think for an audience that didn't that didn't know who Prodigy was or know his music, you were able to also understand a deeper lens into who he was, right? Yeah. And I think that was the beauty of of the podcast. And I think why those stories don't get told. And even now, um, you know, I was watching the Nipsey Hustle funeral today. Um, Sometimes the the image that mainstream media portrays of a particular person is just of like popping bottles or there's but there's a, a educated, smart and tell for you to come out of that condition and make it. Mm. Man, you're built a different kind of way. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to be intelligent. You have to be crafty. Uh to not just have one hit song, but to have many hit songs and the you're running a business, you're an entrepreneur, you're a marketing extraordinaire, you're all these different things when you look at that rapper, you know? And I, I think that that's why I love the realness so much. And I encourage everyone who's listening. That's like one of my favorite podcasts of 2018 that I was like all about and oh, thank heavily you. Prom- pumping and promoting. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing that uh, I realized in telling that story is how often as a journalist, I realized how often as a white person who would tell black people's stories, I feel like I boxed people into a victim space. And why what I liked about telling Prodigy's story was it was really just telling his whole story. Like all of these things were happening at once with this person, right? Like full humanness. He was involved with guns. He was he had sickle cell. He was a dad. Like he was an amazing dancer. Like he all of these things were happening at once. And like the beauty of it to me was being able to like understand him in all these different ways. And I don't pretend to like understand him completely. I didn't know him. But um I don't know. That was like the real honor of it to be able to like have the time to really like talk deeply about a human and like portray him in a way that like I don't I don't know that he got portrayed while he was 
alive. No, 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 no. And I, and I don't know also, too, that that was something that while he was in his career in full swing that he's thinking about promoting. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's not maybe in the back of his mind. But I think that now we're, we can look back and look at certain people uh, throughout history with a different lens. Yeah. You know, maybe in real time, we're not seeing him in a particular way. But once they've gone and passed, we have time to reflect. And even like someone like Nipsey Hussle today, you know, just looking back at like, man, this dude was an entrepreneur who was giving back to his community. He was so much more than than just the rapper yeah. that we consume in our ears. Like he was a part of the community. He's part of our hearts, you know? And like it, when we called people to talk, it was really hard to call pe- to get people to talk to us for that show. A lot of them said to us, like, why do you always want to tell our stories when we're dead? And it was really hard to gain trust for that show. It was really hard to like get those interviews. And I was glad that we eventually did get a bunch of them. I wish we'd gotten Havoc. Well, you know, you know what? That's the thing that, you know, I um I was speaking at a conference mm. and speaking about podcasting and I was saying that I was, I was on this panel speaking to folks like, look, I understand that we have like white people and black people and, you know, gay people and here speaking today. And this is amazing. But we have to like still look at like diversity of voices. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, is that just about diversity in skin tone? <laughs> you know, is diversity in, you know, I was like, everyone close your eyes and imagine there's a guy in the projects rocking Tim's and a do-rag rolling up a blunt and he's listening to a podcast and is that podcast being represented today mm-hmm. you know what I mean we have to take the scope out of what a podcaster is and what you know just look at different voices totally you know what I mean and and that that trust is getting there I mean I think more than ever you know it's a step-by-step process but I think we want unique voices and we want to have uh we want that and I yeah. think I think the podcast community, the people, the creators want that, and then the consumers want that. Yeah, you know, and so it, it's happening. Yeah. Let, let's get into what next. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so you're the first person I've ever interviewed with a daily show. Oh boy. So what goes into you <laughs> making a daily show? Are you a lot you, of caffeine? Are you creating the stories? Are you, you have a producer who's helping you with the stories? So there are two producers and one assistant producer. Okay. And they're amazing. First of all, I should say that. They're just amazing humans. They're so phenomenally talented. And everyone is sort of doing everything, like coming up with ideas and sort of, you know, fighting back against ideas. We're like, we don't think that'll work and here's why. Trying to learn lessons when things don't work. And then every day we're doing an interview and cutting it down the same day for the next day. And on some days we're trying to scuttle things and do things faster. So like today... I really wanted to scuttle the show and doing some, do something on Julian Assange because he was arrested in the morning and we just couldn't do it, but we tried. Uh, and the goal of the show, of, from my perspective, is I really want to give people a perspective on the news where they feel like they more deeply understand it, they're closer to the action, and they're hearing from someone who's not kind of like mediating the story for them. Like a good example, when you listen to all of the daily news shows, um, when we do the same thing, it's really interesting to hear what our biases are, like what what's the difference between us. So we see our main competitors to be The Daily of the New York Times, um, Vox's show with Sean Ramosfarum, um, maybe Start Here, although that's kind of like a different animal, maybe Post Reports, again, it's kind of a different animal. The other two shows I mentioned are all like one topic shows and they do one topic and they're five days a week. So if you look at, for instance, when big news breaks on the Mueller report or when big news breaks on 
uh, in Venezuela and then listen to all of our shows, it's so interesting to hear how we're different and how we're the same. Like, we all think the Mueller report is important, right? My approach was that 9.45 on a Sunday night, Dahlia Lithwick came in here, we had some bourbon, and we talked about the Mueller report, you know? And that's really different than The Daily, where they had a little more of a regimented conversation. And it started probably a little bit further back than we did. Um, Like we sort of started assuming you have the knowledge of like this letters come out and the Mueller report is done. And, you know, we don't sort of go as far back in history as they do. Um, Venezuela is another good example. When uh, Venezuela was in political trouble um, and, you know, there's these two presidents going on, uh, the Daily interviewed someone who was an expert in Venezuela, but was in New York and sort of speaking from not a voice of God perspective, but kind of like someone who is like, you know, outside of it. We talked to a woman who is in Venezuela, who was Venezuelan about what was going on. And, um, you know, that has advantages and disadvantages, right? Because she's very close to the action. So she feels a lot of feelings about it. So that's something you have to kind of work around. But it's also that's also beautiful, you know, to hear someone who's so close to the story and this is a moment that they're feeling could really change their country. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's just interesting to me to hear the different ways that we do the same things because you see sort of what the different cases are for our shows. I wonder if you, do you know what a daily show like does for like your personal brand or like what that <laughs> what that means to like people's lives? Because people tune in, they get off work and they tune into you uh, when they get off work to that show or when they yeah. wake up in the morning, they're tuning into what, ne- what next. Ha- have you seen that shift in your career where people now are really invested in you every morning? You have people who- That's the hope. They're going to put my face on the tile. So I'm like, I guess I'm really doing this show because my face is on the tile. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we're hearing from listeners. It's really interesting. They comment on stuff like I have a verbal tick where I'll say, huh. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom and dad are like, please stop. We hate that. And I can't help it. And a listener was like, I love it when you go, hmm, you just know, you know that like you've done something wrong when Mary does that. And I was like, I don't think. (laughs) <laughs> I think I'm just like doing it. Uh, but it's really funny to hear people like what they think about you when all they know is your voice. You know, like what, it, how do you fill in that picture in your mind? Well, well, I think, and that's the important thing of what you're, what you're doing right now with, with what next too. And uh, I, I like to think of things when I interview folks on my other show, Silent Giants, who've done amazing work. Um, you know, whether they recorded Michael Jackson's thriller. And I'm like, uh, do you ever recognize that in the moment what the impact of the work that you're doing. Yeah. Right? Like, I think now, I don't get up in the morning watch today's show. It used to be, I used to watch Matt Lauer and Katie Couric in the morning. But now I'm tuned in to what next? What? That's amazing. Yeah. It feels really good. But like, you're going to be the voice for, as podcasting is con- continuing to grow, for another generation of people who consume news through podcasting. Your mouth to God's ears. Yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking the truth. I see things before they happen. I love it. I know the realists. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing privilege. And it's an amazing responsibility, right? Because you have to choose the stories that matter the most and you have to have a reason you're choosing them. Like, so we did a six-week sort of trial run when I first joined Slate and then we went dark and we came back. And during that six-week trial run, when we came back, we tried to track like, what did we like about those six weeks? What did we not? And so- 
you know, we were like, well, we like this show. We like that show. We plotted it all out on a wall, what we liked and we didn't like. And then we're like, you know what we didn't like? We didn't like that. I don't think we had one woman of color on the whole time. Mm. And we made that part of like when we came back, like, no, no, we can't. We can't not do that. Like we we have to fix this. This is something we have to fix. And even though we're really busy and even though you know, we're pulled in a million different directions, these are things we have to fix because otherwise we won't like represent the people we're trying to reach, you know? And so um, I take it seriously. Like when you say that, like you could be the person who's you know translating the news for someone. I take that super seriously. I'm like a big giant nerd believer. Um, and I think right now we're in this really interesting time where lots of people are getting information from lots of different sources, but they're kind of you know, walled off, right? Like you're not hearing from Breitbart and, um, you know, I'm not either, but I want to create a space where people can come together and have difficult conversations, um, stuff that they might not be doing other places. And that involves like sort of deeply respecting lots of different people's voices, making sure you're getting them on when you're not like interrogating yourself a little bit about it. So I try to do that because I do take that seriously. Oh, I ask folks typically when they come on the show, when you first start their show, when they first start their show, I say, hey, uh, you know, think of your show like a tattoo, mm. right? Because for the next five, 10 years, the longer you do it, the more people are going to call you to only talk on that particular topic. Yeah. So be very cautious of the brand of the topic and the, uh, the brand of the show. Have you seen that shift happen in your career where you're becoming more of a voice in a particular way that you weren't before? A little bit. Like, so I've been these MSNBC appearances that I'm doing where I'm showing up sort of on the weekend, this guy, Kendis Gibson's show. I sort of have to go out there and be like, oh, how am I going to talk about this story in a way that makes sense for me, that makes sense for the show? And it's like a, an interesting puzzle every weekend where I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do it. This is how it makes sense. You know, I have to know something about the topic, ideally. Uh, but, you know, like, how do you push a story forward? Because that's the other thing that one actually tries to do. Like, always look at, like, what's going to happen Mm. later what's going to happen next you know where should you be focusing your attention attention okay okay so mary we've hit that time of the show where it's called our podcasters picks okay my three i just it's just three just three there's three and describe them to me okay i'm gonna start with like an og show i love on the media which is a wnyc show and it's deeply nerdy, but it's like my church every weekend. Like I go, I'm a news nerd. They talk about news. They talk about language. They talk about how we talk about words. And new- it's so deeply nerdy, but literally it is my church. Uh, so I will say that's number one. Number one. Number one. Uh, I really like the cut on Tuesdays. From Explain it. Okay, New York Magazine. It's uh, it's this woman from the Cut on Tuesdays, and she just she. It's like a. T- it's sort of like if you ever listen to Death, Sex, and Money. Okay. With Anna Sale, it's sort of like that, but it's not. It's just she did a really good show called What Is Sex, and it was just interviews with all these women telling like weird stories about when they first learned about what sex was. And it was just transfixing. She's a really good writer. It's beautiful. It's sort of like you can just get lost in it. So I'd say that's another one. And then I'd say it's been a minute from Sam Sanders because I think he's a really, really Love phenomenal Sam. host. Sam he's is that so dude. Good. He is. He's really good at taking information and um, making it joyful. You know, I think right. that's like how you remember things is like you take information and you make it like a little spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And Sam is really good at that. And he's really good at being personal and being, you know, letting you see him 
but not too much, but just enough. Right, you know? right, right. Tasteful you know? amount. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you so. know, he's he's based in LA, so hopefully I'll get the chance to meet him one day. Yeah. Because he's he's out there in LA and La La Land. So he's great. He's great. And then Mary, before we get out of here, yep. I ask uh, everyone before we leave, uh, why do you podcast? Oh, why do I podcast? That's deep. <laughs> <sighs> I really love conversations, first of all. And I really love stories. And I love finding a way to make a conversation into something where you're going to have a moment of realization. Like, I love those moments of realization where something feels like it clicks. And I feel like they're really rare right now. Um, I was on this podcasting panel and someone was talking about why should you do podcasting and blah, 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 blah. And I said this, and I still think this is true, that podcasting lets you slow down the news you know, right now I feel overwhelmed. I go on Twitter. It's like a hellscape. You know, I go on Facebook. I'm like, I feel like you're stealing my data, but I feel like I have to be there, but I don't really want to be there. I only re really read retweets and headlines. It's terrible, right? It's like trash. You feel like a trash human in that environment. I feel like when you are listening to a podcast, because of the way your brain absorbs sound, you have to slow it down and get it to a pace where you actually understand. And when you can do that with and for someone, where you can introduce them to someone they wouldn't have met before, you can slow down a story so that they really get it and have that click of understanding, that is like the most satisfying thing that you can do, I think. Especially right now. It's a service, frankly, because there is so much bad information out there and too much information really too much nonsense so that's why i podcast wow mary harris <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you on the show it was a pleasure I, to I'm be a, here i'm a big fan of yours and I'm, I'm a forecaster i really do think that in the next 10 20 years when we look back at where podcasting is now and where it's going to go in 20 years that you're gonna be one of those pioneers and one of those faces and names that we know that like Aww. delivers good news like the way that katie kirk was on today's show you're the sweetest I think, thank you look, i'm telling you i'm telling you i have a way of forecasting things okay i love it <laughs> i love it thank All you right. so much for being on the show today. thank you Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Mary Harris. I'll provide the link to her podcast, What Next, in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. And lastly, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And I'll be sure to provide the link to that in the description of this episode as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, Pod Bless. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 